0: Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning to New Life Online. Uh, My name's Fiona, and it's just a privilege, again, to be sharing with you. We're in a series uh, through the book of Genesis. Uh, We did some work in the early part of Genesis last year, but now we've uh, picked that story up around about uh, Genesis chapter 12 and working towards where we're up to today. This is the fourth week. If you would like to catch up, you'll be able to find uh, the previous uh, messages online. But it is great to have you here and it's wonderful for us to get into this passage of scripture again and actually what I've noticed um, over the last four weeks and the perspective that we start to be start to gain as we kind of lift out of some of the detail and to see the bigger picture of what God's painting for us through this story. um, I've been really struck by how we're seeing Abraham growing and maturing in this intimate relationship that he has with God and how that has these sort of stunning reverberations into what we see of the church, the disciples maturing in their love and in their faith with Christ. So we're seeing that there is this beautiful parallel between Abraham and God and that relationship that's emerging, that relationship of discipleship, that relationship that involves encouragement and intimacy and trust, and then also the way that we see Christ with his church, the maturing and the nurturing of the disciples the ways that Jesus was teaching them and equipping them for what was to come next. So i just love you to hold that in the background, if you would, as we kind of dive into a little bit more of the detail. But before we do, may we pray. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you all thanks and praise for this time we have in worship this morning. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that we may see the wonderful things in your word. God, I ask that you would put your words into my mouth that you would be glorified. And we ask that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path this day and always. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So friends, the way into the story today, uh, all of the chapter of 18, uh, and starting from, I guess, from the beginning, um, it's important to know that this is really the last time uh, in this part of, in Genesis story, where Abraham and Sarah are reminded of God's promise, that it is actually the last time that they will hear about a son who's coming Hallelujah, (laughs) because it's been a long time in coming. We think that there's somewhere between 11 and 13 years that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting, that have been waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And we've just come to this beautiful point now when um, God and his uh, men or angels with him have come to announce that there will be a baby and it will be within the next season. And that in a year's time... uh, Sarah will have a child, and his name will be Abraham. His name will be Isaac. Abraham's now ninety-nine years old, um, and as we said, this has really been a long time in coming. And actually, this advance notice of Isaac's coming birth happens in a greater story where God and some of His fellow travelers are journeying to Sodom to inspect a situation that is happening there. We know that for Sarah as she received this news, and probably also Abraham, but we know that Sarah is still a little bit struggling, right? There is still a consistency about Sarah's response to this promise where she still feels as though there's some doubt. I'm such an old woman. (laughs) Not only I don't know if I have this pleasure, but would I really be able to bear a child? But indeed, God says, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? He just kind of brings this straight back into perspective, doesn't he? Where actually these words are designed to kind of like shift us, shift Sarah out of some sort of obsession around what she understands, what she can do, her own resources, her own sense of hope in the future, shifting out of that into what is God's perspective. And God's perspective is one where he asks us this question, is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? So just as we um, launch into uh, the rest of this passage, I have a quote for you. It's kind of is to sum up for us uh, where we're going today for today's message. And it's, It's actually about um, what it is to live this life of faith, what it is to have a heart of faith. I'm going to read it for you. Living a life of faith may mean never knowing where you're being led, but it does mean loving and knowing the one who is leading. It is literally a life of faith, not of understanding and reason. Faith is rooted in the knowledge of a person. A quote from Oswald Chambers there. So, here as Adele Redfrost, we have two distinct stories really playing out in this chapter 18. And we see Abraham playing two quite distinct roles. And these, these roles and these stories give us um, insight into Abraham's heart. We start to see this inward transformation that's been taking place this gradual growth in his relationship with God, this gradual growth in intimacy with God, and this, this, this gradual um, work of God imputing the characteristics and the nature of God onto the heart and into the life of Abraham. We see that um, Abraham's life has been marked by God coming close to him. Often it's because the word of the Lord has come to him. And this time um, we discover that there are some unexpected visitors that are coming to come and um, uh, Abraham's going to respond in a certain way. So verse 1 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. What strikes me about... Verse (laughs) 1, and you might remember that I I was really taken with verse 1 the last time I preached to you in Genesis 15, but here it is again, the very first verse says, The Lord appeared. Previously, it had been the word of the Lord had come to Abraham, but today we have something different. The Lord appears before Abraham, and could this be the most understated scripture? could this be the most understated description of what's going on here? Because God hasn't appeared as a burning bush or a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire or as that dazzling bright white of the transfiguration. God hasn't appeared as a still small voice. God has appeared as a man. Understated. Humble. Veiled in glory. Veiled glory. The veiled glory of God appearing before Abraham as a person. Now, theologically, this can kind of mess us up a little bit, right? I don't know whether you've had any thoughts about this and what is this saying? How do we understand God in this way? Is God a man? And what are the two other men? Is this sort of some way that we start to build a theology of the Trinity? Well, I think all those things are possibly yes, Um, And we're not going to do the um, mental gymnastics about that today. But it's just really important for us to realise that God comes to Abraham so that Abraham might be reminded that this is the God he can have relationship with. And this is the God who's going to write large all of the possible impossibilities of those who believe in him. I think God appeared in this way really solely... So that Abraham might know what God is like in concrete ways. And that this would indeed help Abraham live a life of faith in God. That Abraham need not doubt God's love, God's faithfulness and God's fulfillment of God's promises. Friends, I think this is exactly the same reason why Jesus Christ was sent by God as a man. The same reason that God came to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke God's words. Jesus thought God's thoughts. He felt and expressed God's emotions and did God's work. God sent Jesus to reveal to us God's love. 1 John 1, 9 to 11, it might be a scripture you're very familiar with, but it says this. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I know it's like really early in the service and everything, but I just want to pause for a second. Michael reminded us that there is a now moment. There's a moment right now to recognize that Jesus paid it all. And it's a now moment because I think that we... We need it so badly in our lives. And so if you have not for yourself personally received this incredible love of God for you and the fullness of life in his son Jesus Christ, it's a moment to receive that. It's a moment in your heart to say, yes, I want that. And to respond to what God is doing. For all of us, may that invitation just sit like a blanket of God's warm presence over us. That we might know this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we might also remember that today, today now is the day of salvation. Moving on in our passage, friends, uh, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them. He bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. It's the heat of the day. It's the heat of the day in the desert. And Abraham is sitting by the tent, sitting by the tent entrance, just hopefully staying cool. We haven't looked this, um, this time in the series at chapter 17. But what has come very quickly just behind this story is a story where, again, where God comes to Abraham and he talks to Abraham about the covenant of circumcision. It's a really, really important story, another beautiful story where covenant is unpacked. I encourage you to go and have a read of that story. But I just want to um, insert for us a little bit of information that isn't necessarily in the text. But I have a feeling that Abraham is recovering from surgery. And he sits there in in the heat of the day in a cool place to recover. And what happens is that he sees in the distance three men coming his way. And what does he do? He gets up and he runs. He runs to quickly make arrangements to organise for there to be refreshments bought for these visitors so that they could then continue on their journey. And his hospitality is incredibly generous. It's extravagant hospitality that he provides. There's a choice calf that is went and got from the herd. There is milk and curds as the appropriate accompaniment to good meat. There is water, of course, and and feet being washed. There is a ridiculous amount of fine flour to make cakes. Abraham is so welcoming and he is so humble and reverent in the way that he seeks to serve these visitors. We see Abraham's heart that is willing to make sacrifices so that his guests may just feel incredibly welcome. Friends, out the front of the auditorium, I hope you've seen this. Uh, I hope that this is a familiar picture to you. But there is a beautiful sign out the front of this church that says, Welcome to New Life. It's actually more than just a sign, it's intended to represent something else. It's intended to be something more than just some script on a beautiful banner. It represents God's heart of welcome to our community. And taking Abraham as our example, that sign must represent what we are known for as the church. It must represent what we are known for as the church. And in fact, it's almost like it's not just welcome to new life above the auditorium. Because this place where we gather is so vast and has something like up to 1,000 people daily coming on site how exciting is that what an opportunity for hospitality and welcome we can extend to our community what a great challenge for us what a great opportunity for us Paul picks up on the importance of this very thing when he speaks to the church in Rome he says welcome one another then just as Christ has welcomed you in order to bring glory to God don't we want to bring glory to God in this way church And my prayer is this, may that sign ever, forever point to a company of people who love God and who want to extend generous and self-sacrificing welcome to others. That's my prayer. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Moving on in the story. Um, The men who are on this journey to Sodom... Uh, they set out from where they've stopped and rested and they look towards Sodom and Abraham being the great host that he is he just kind of journeys with them a little bit on the way we're going to just jump down to verse 20 I will come back to verses 17 to 19 in a moment but the story continues quite seamlessly now if we pick it up in verse 20 then the Lord said how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave is this sin I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. God hears Sodom's cry. It's a cry that has been heard because of the grave sin in that city. In the Hebrew language, the word cry, just like it is in this understood in this context, is found more than 20, in more than 20 other occasions in the Old Testament. It is the cry of the oppressed. It is the cry of the vulnerable who are exploited. It's the cry of the downtrodden. It's the cry of the widow and of the orphan who have been harshly treated. It's the cry of heinous moral and social corruption that includes but is not limited to sexual immorality. Friends, this is the cry that attracts God's attention and intervention. God always hears the cry and investigates. God does this because it's who God is. But he does this also out of his heart of love for us. So that we might, go th- we might not go through life having to doubt God's mercy. Because God so loves what he has created that when creation is broken in any way, he yearns to put it back together again, to bring wholeness. The Psalms are full of testimony to this God who hears the cry. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He regards the prayer of the destitute. The Lord has heard my plea. God hears the cry. He hears my cry and he hears your cry. And so the men, they turned and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near to Yahweh and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham is now standing before the Lord. The other men have moved on from the scene and Abraham draws near to Yahweh, who's in front of him, understated. Understated. And my sense is that Abram has come to a bit of a place of confidence. My sense is that Abraham is acting upon what he has come to know about God's character, about God's dependability, about God's integrity. Abraham is convicted now that God is trustworthy and that God keeps his promises. Recall, would you, with me, that we learn that this is the God who shows up. This is the God who shows up to walk the blood path, who is obligated himself to unilaterally fulfill the covenant. Abraham is learning to see injustice like God sees injustice. And Abraham knows now that he can appeal to God's mercy. Because he certainly had to do that in his life up until now. Abraham is tapping into the heart of God. And so Abraham asks whether God would spare the city for 50 innocent. Uh, and when God consents, Abraham presses God to mitigate punishment if, 50 innocent, uh, if 45 uh, innocent people were there. And God agrees. Three times, Abraham lowers the number by five. And then with a little more boldness, he lowers the numbers by 10. And Abraham stops at 10. I'm not exactly sure why Abraham stops at 10. But it's significant for us that Abraham realizes that the judge of all the earth will do what is just. Significant for us to realize that justice is not just something that God aspires to. It is the very heart of who God is and what God does. Abraham has figured out that to God, ten righteous people are more important than innumerable wicked. Abraham has figured out that just as the nations of the earth will find blessing in his descendants, so the guilty will find mercy in the lives of the godly. Abraham now knows that God gives the right judgment and he's able to trust God in that. Nowhere does Abraham actually challenge God's evaluation of Sodom. Nowhere does Abraham seek to think he knows what's actually the right thing to do in this situation. Abraham simply asks God for divine mercy and Abraham becomes an intercessor, partnering with God. For God's outcome we have this really interesting um, point now in the story I, I talked earlier on about these reverberations into uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ and his relationship with his disciples and indeed with the church and we start to now see um, emerging uh, this, this real thread or this real theme of intercession and, and responding in prayer on behalf of others who experience injustice we see this uh, in Exodus and we see it in the major prophets in, Z- in Nehemiah and Ezra and into the Old Testament because God starts with a leader but then the responsibility shifts from that one person who hears the cry to all of God's people who hear the cry and respond. 1 Peter 2.9 says this about this shift From the one person to all of God's people, it says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, now in light of the cross, everyone represents God to the world. Everyone who calls themselves a Christian, who's a follower of Jesus, represents God to the world. It's our role to show the world what God is like. And we have so many ways that we need to do that. But for us in the story today, we are going to commit ourselves to prayer. We're going to come before the Lord when there is a crisis. We're going to come before the Lord and intercede for nations, for businesses, for families, for communities, for individuals. And whilst we can talk so much more about what this is to be an interceding, prayerful church, I just want to just highlight one thing. Friends, we need to realise that this is not a burden. Because Romans tells us that Christ is constantly interceding for us. And the Holy Spirit makes intercession for all the saints. So we do not need a stronger argument than that to enter into the intercession of our Lord and of Jesus Christ. So as we move to the final part of uh, this journey, this story that we're on today, just a quick summary for you. Abraham's heart is tuned into God's character to the character of generous provision hospitality. Abraham's heart is tuned into God's character of mercy and justice. And Abraham has partnered with God in intercession. So we come now to this verse 17. It's actually just back a little bit in the chronology of the story, but it's an important piece that sits in the middle of the two. It says this. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised. So as I said, sandwiched in between these two stories, these two incredibly insightful roles that Abraham has played, this, these two testimonies to the development, the inward development that God's been doing in the character of Abraham, we have this other little piece sandwiched in the middle. And, and I think, you know, just to make it real simple, I think that God has this idea that as part of this visit to Abraham, he's got some parenting advice. And it's it's a good time to get some parenting advice, right? There's a kid about nine months away. So Abraham, come, So God comes there to just come alongside Abraham and in this really... I don't know, have you got parenting advice if you're a parent and it's just like, yeah, look, I so ne- didn't need that. <laughs> like that, that wasn't said in the right way at the right time or anything else, you know. <laughs> but actually, this is not what God does because God's timing with what he wants to say to us is always perfect. And he comes alongside Abraham with just these words of encouragement, these words of um, credentialing this character development that's happened in Abraham. And he comes alongside with this, this kind of charge that he gives Abraham. You and Sarah are going to be responsible to make sure that your kids and all of your household are going to walk with the Lord. And Abraham and Sarah are going to have a role in teaching them, in showing them what a close walk with the Lord looks like, and by teaching them to practice righteousness and justice. Such an important responsibility that God has named in Scripture... Not just for Abraham and his descendants, although we know they are so numerous. But as that story continues and is for us today as God's children, we too have this responsibility. As a church, as the body of Christ, we have this incredible responsibility to pass on God's ways to our younger generations. It's an incredible privilege and an honour that we not just be about biological parents and biological siblings, but we together, spiritual parents, spiritual aunties and uncles, spiritual sisters and brothers, commit ourselves to raising up children in ways that they can know and love God and actually represent God to their world. We have this beautiful opportunity and we are so privileged to be part of a church that actually has committed itself to doing this. But I hope that you see the importance of it here today. I hope you see the charge that comes to Abraham, that this is going to be really, really important, that God says, Abraham, the the most important thing you can do now, that you are about to be the father of more descendants you can ever count or imagine, that you will charge them with actually walking with the Lord, that you will show them what that means, that you will guide them, you will teach them. What an amazing opportunity, what a privilege that we have to do that. And I think that if we're really going to do that well, if we're really going to honour what God is saying to Abraham in that, if we're really going to honour the other things that have been so practically um, accessible for us in this passage today, things like the welcome of Christ. If we're going to take that up as a challenge today, if we're going to take up the challenge of hearing the cry of the oppressed and interceding for justice, if we are going to take up the challenge to make disciples of this generation and the next, then we are definitely going to need a close relationship with Jesus. We're going to need to be renewed in that daily. We're going to need to hold each other accountable to what that is in every part of our life. So that as we leave here, that work is where that work really happens. We're going to need to daily draw near, daily receive the fresh infilling of God's love into our hearts by the Spirit and a fresh infilling of power of the Holy Spirit to do this. We're going to do it together. And as we just come to kind of close this off, I mentioned at the start this kind of, if you could hold that, remember I said, could you hold that big kind of picture background for me? Where we see something of the character of Abraham being gradually and slowly developed as he walks closer with God and how that reverberates into um, you know, the t- into our time and place, but particularly into what we see in Jesus Christ and his love for the church and his development and discipleship of the, of the, um, of the apostles. As we see that, would you just bear in mind the truth that we're going to need to walk closely with God because God actually has this work for us to do and he's going to do it in such a way that means that we don't have to ever wonder whether he's near to us for this task. John chapter 15 talks about this very issue of the closeness of God in our life and the relationship we have, the relationship we're invited into. And just by way of context, the book of John, the gospel of John, it's in that early part of the New Testament if you're not familiar with scriptures, but Jesus has this beautiful and long conversation with his disciples because he is going away. He's going to be crucified He's going to die a, a horrendous death. Injustice upon injustice will be put upon his body, and he will raise again, be raised again from the dead. And actually, he's trying to dis, dis, encourage the disciples and describe what that's going to be like. And he says these words, and he says it using the word "you" collectively. We've already talked about this today, but but you need to hear the collective "you." I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Follow my example in obeying the Father's commandments and receiving this love. If you obey my commandments, you will stay in my love. I want you to know the delight I experience to find ultimate satisfaction, which is why I'm telling you all of this. My commandment to you is this. Love others as I've loved you. There is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. You celebrate our friendship if you obey this command. I don't call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what the master is doing. But I have told you everything the father has said to me. I call you friends. You did not choose me, I chose you. And I orchestrated all of this so that you would be sent out to bear great and perpetual fruit. As you do this, asking anything you ask the Father will be done in my name. We are held in this friendship that God offers us. We are given all we need in this close and intimate relationship. And as we've listened to the importance of welcome and what it is to intercede and to live justly and to raise our children, biological and otherwise, in the life of the faith, we know that above all, God is offering us this renewed and refreshed and strengthened relationship in him for that work. Don't leave here today feeling as though you're depleted in the resources that are available to you in Christ. Because as we heard at the very start of this message, is there anything too wonderful or difficult for the Lord? May you go from here filled and refreshed for these challenges that lay ahead. Let's stand together and sing.